Blog Talk Radio. I know it sounds a bit as though we're coming from outer space. Frankly, that's the only criticism I've gotten of the new show since we moved to Blog Talk is a decline in audio quality. Uh, We're going to do what we can to compensate for that. We're kind of limited, frankly, because this is uh, the show's coming to you through the vast Skype network mostly. Uh, But uh, we're hoping that the immediacy that this new format allows us the interaction that it makes possible will compensate the audio quality. If not, we'll go back to the old way of doing it. But we're here. Uh, yes, we are here. <laughs> and there. Uh I'm your uh, I'm your host, Nate Larkin. Uh speaking of course with our co host from the West Coast, the inimitable, uh the unique thank God, the unique Aaron Porter. <laughs> 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 and our fearless, peerless engineer uh, on the other side of the glass here, uh, high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee, Mondo Grimes. Yes, I feel like I'm in the zoo on the other side of the glass. Like, I'm the animal, you're looking at me. Okay, exactly. <laughs> well, I was having the same feeling. <laughs> we just have to decide who's the animal. Yeah, do, you right. think animals, do you think animals in the zoo wonder that when they're looking out? I Probably wonder. Not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it's it's still kind of a blustery day here in Middle Tennessee. The weather's trying to decide whether it's winter, spring, or summer. We've had a taste of all three in the last week or so. Uh, and, of course, uh, it's just disgustingly summer-like out in San Luis Obispo, is it not, Aaron? It is. Woke up this morning and it was one of those warm summer mornings. It was. It felt like spring is here. It felt good. I feel good. And well, we're live. Yeah. On the Pilot yeah. Monk Radio. See. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't solve the audio problem from you know uh, via the internet, then I propose we all move to San Luis. Uh, actually, in with you. I think we should all live with you, Aaron. And do the All show right. from the pub in your basement. I let's throw some bunk beds in the back. Now Jenny won't let any of you upstairs, but you guys can stay down here in the pub level. <laughs> well, Allie doesn't let anybody upstairs at our house either, as you well know. Um, well, I, I don't know how you guys are doing. I am on. I've just got to say it's it's personal it's probably boring as anything to the listeners but i have to just tell you this i'm feeling so good today uh because a uh, a, a black cr- a cloud of dread that i've been hanging over me for the last couple of months disappeared yesterday with a visit to the cardiologist and the results of my most recent blood work uh, uh i made some drastic lifestyle lifestyle changes i guess we've talked about it on the show a little bit Went hardcore vegan for a while and uh, made some other changes. I'm not quite as hardcore vegan right now, but still major changes in the diet. Kicked up the exercise. I am pleased to report that uh, I, without any medication at all, have dropped the cholesterol by 100 full points. Back down into the normal range. That is strong. I like that. Oh, man. Uh, so I'm no longer at uh, uh, moderate to high risk of a heart attack. Uh, got a big attaboy from the cardiologist, and uh, so anyway, I, so well not done. only am I feeling better, you know, physically, I, I wasn't aware of how much I was laboring psychologically and emotionally under that uh, that dread until uh, I got the good news. Makes me wonder, you know, and I've experienced the same thing in recovery. I think we carry a ton of stress. Any kind of uh, lifestyle that's 
contrary to God's best, drags on us. But we adjust. Uh, we learn how to deal with it. We learn how to minimize it. We learn how to ignore it. And we, I, I'm convinced that we don't understand how much we're carrying until it, we're not carrying it any longer. I'm sure I'm still carrying a ton. But uh got to drop some of that weight uh, yesterday, and dang, it feels good. Well, All right. Well done. Yeah. How about you, Aaron? I have finished my three crazy weeks, and so Monday morning, knowing there were no big events to plan or attend or perform at or speak at, was just a glorious feeling. <laughs> yeah, the Monday after mm-hmm. Easter, man. I remember it well from my days in uh, vocational ministry. And you also had that bit. You had a you had a funeral right in the thick of things. Yeah, and that actually it was it was amazing. There were probably 300 people that came. We were out by a, a little lake pond thing in a park, so it was outside. And wow! It was just a really uh, it was a sweet time. Uh, people understood that I was bringing inappropriateness on my friend's behalf because he was he was the inappropriate one, not me. Mm. Cool. That's actually not true. We enjoyed being inappropriate together. Thank you, Mondo, for chiming in on that. And actually, his daughter was the one when I said that to the people that uh, scoffed at me. So even his eight-year-old daughter knew what was going on, but it was fun to be able to bring that and have people really desire something less mm-hmm. formal and something yeah. that honored yeah. him, and it was a real celebration. Yeah. So had members of the Native American community up there singing, so that was cool. it's always fun to bring a bunch of people together like that. Wow. That's great. Very good. That's great. Mondo, anything new uh, over at the Grimes teepee? Uh, man, yeah. Uh, man, I am on day 25 right. of my 30, 30-day fast. I was thinking about you last week with that. How are you doing? I'm on in the home stretch. Uh, I'm I'm telling you, I've been struggling the last couple of days. Yeah, uh, I had a I had about a good two week stretch where I was just I was doing it, man. Uh, yeah. But yes, yesterday was pretty rough. Today pretty good though. But yesterday Although, was pretty rough. You uh, did so mention much, that coming past the mellow mushroom this morning was uh, a bit of a trial. Yeah, because you know in the morning they 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 prep all the bacon and the dough and the pastas and, <laughs> and 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 my office the studio is is directly above the kitchen, <laughs> so so I get all the smell and everything at ten o'clock in the morning and I'm sitting here sucking on a fruit veggie smoothie that tastes nothing like pizza. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, man, I got five days to go, guys, and uh, I, I'm, d- I'm down 28 pounds. Holy wow! Yeah, man. Pounds. Yeah, man. Mondo, and, uh, yeah. I I I had a guitar player in my band who did a 40 day fast, and we had two concerts back to back on his final week. He does not actually remember any of that week, but he broke three or four guitar strings. In one of the concerts, he couldn't remember any of the words. I tell you, we were meant to eat food. That's that's what I learned <laughs> from my guitar player. Never yeah, let a band in a fruit fast uh, in your band. Yeah, uh, that's right. exactly, man. But yeah, doing doing cool. The family supporting me, cheering me on. Uh, yeah. They're being very considerate, you know, of, of where I am. But yeah, Monday's the last day, man. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm good, dude. Everything's good at the Grimes TP. All right. Terrific. I'm feeling like I need to do some healthy thing here. We've got Nate, you're doing the healthy stuff. Uh, Mondo's doing this healthy stuff. And I'm just sitting here eating crap. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, colon irrigation, I hear, is very healthy. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. I'll stop by Home Depot. And, get and if you don't want to take the dietary route, yeah. Um. Oh, hey, by, uh, let me let me just remind before we go to break here. Just remind our listeners: we have gone uh, to this format with the decline in audio quality only because we want to include you. Now, uh, viewership, uh, listenership on the on the podcast is high. People are downloading the completed show, and listening to it. Um, uh, 
if uh, we'd love to hear from one or two of you during the show today, uh, and I'd love for you to put it on your calendar. If you're listening to the recorded podcast, put it on your calendar for Wednesday, 11.30 Central Time, 10.30 Eastern Time, 9.30 Pacific Time here in the U.S., uh, for an hour. That's when we're live on the air, and the call-in number is 347 347- Eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. That's three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine. A number which it turns out spells absolutely nothing. Oh man! So <laughs> did we get any guys sending stuff? I didn't no, no, there was nothing to send. And when nobody when nobody wrote in, I went to a few websites myself because I figured somebody would figure out a way to automate this. You punch in the numbers, it gives you all the possibilities. That's right, right. It, Spells nothing. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So you can call us there three four seven eight five zero seventeen sixty nine, or you can send a tweet to our executive producer Jay, who also screens the calls. Send it at, at Pirate Monk Radio, uh, or message us on the Facebook page at Pirate Monk Radio. Uh, and if you're hearing this uh, after the show and you want to communicate, you can always send us an email at piratemonkradio at gmail.com. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Pirate Monk radio show. Uh, say, fellas, I somebody sent me a blog yesterday that absolutely just tore me up. I loved it. It was entertaining, uh, uh, thought-provoking, and uh, it, I really... I woke up this morning thinking about the blog, and I thought, man, you know, if it stuck with me that well, I ought to share it. It's written by a woman. Uh, the title of the blog, you can find it. Just Google it yourself. It's got a great title. It's called Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Jamie, the Very Worst Missionary. Uh, she blogs uh, on a very regular basis, and this is the post from uh, Friday, uh, March 22nd. Uh, uh, the title of it is Sex. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. Jamie writes, My youngest son is about to turn 13. So for the next nine months until my oldest turns 20, holy eight balls, I will be mom to three teenage boys. That means that our dinner table feels like a locker room. If locker rooms were full of nerds, the conversation tumbles easily from Xbox to music to girls to Minecraft to push-ups to girls to movies to farts to money to girls to YouTube and then back again in an endless loop so that over the course of one meal we come around to the subject of girls at least nine times. At least. Girl talk inevitably leads to sex talk. And let me tell you, if there's one thing these guys like to talk about more than girls, it's sex. So we talk about sex. Kind of a lot. And since, as far as I know, none of my children have gone and gotten married, we're mostly talking about sex of the premarital sort. You know, virginity and stuff. The big V. The sacred gift. The golden ticket. These chats are exactly as awkward as you imagine. Obviously, my children know that I had sex before marriage because I had a kid before marriage, so there's really no getting around it. That same kid towers over me now, a full two years older than I was when his own fluttering heartbeat wound itself into mine. These days, I look at him and think, he can't even keep his own room clean. How the hell did I manage an infant and a full-time job at that age? So, yeah. I was an unwed teenage mother. Classy, I know. But oh, it gets worse. Because before I invented MTV's Teen Mom, I was a little bit of a hoe bag. Yup. I willingly did 
regretful things with my body, and I allowed myself to be used in regretful ways by some regretfully sleazy douchebags, perverts, and, in retrospect, probably pedophiles. Gross, I know. I believed that sex was the best thing I had to offer the world. It was the only thing about me worth loving. And I learned, too young, that I could leverage sex to get what I wanted. My female parts had become my greatest asset. Then I found my way into the church, 19 with a baby on my hip. And while I lingered on the outskirts of the Christian bubble, guess what I learned? I learned I was right. Apparently, even God was super concerned with my vagina and where it had been and what it had touched. Apparently, my genitals were like a portal that led straight to my soul. I had been muddied, and everybody knows that once you muck up clean water, you can't unmuck it. It took me a lot of years and a lot of conversations with God and with people who know more about God than me to understand that everything I believed about my own sexuality was built on two huge lies. The first comes from our culture, and it tells us that sex outside of marriage isn't a big deal. The second is from the church, and it tells us that sex outside of marriage is the biggest deal of all deals ever. One allowed me to give it away freely, convinced that I would carry no burden. The other forced me to carry a spirit-crushing load. Both are complete crap. Sex matters. It's the most vulnerable thing you'll ever do with another human being. Commitment breeds intimacy, and intimacy is what makes sex freaking amazing. I'm not going to lie. You can have hot sex outside of, committed, of a committed relationship, but it's mostly going to be like clumsy and goopy and ew. The better you know your partner, the better your sex will be. So basically what I'm saying is that wedding night sex is kind of meh, and five-year sex is all yes, but 18-year sex is like whoa. So go ahead and wait. Wait and enjoy the waiting, and then bask in all those learning experiences with your most trusted friend. But if you've already gone down that path, you knocked boots, you got her done, you did the nasty, and now you're not sure, or maybe you feel dirty, and you're rocking the wall of shame face day in and day out, you need to hear this, and I mean it. You really need to hear this. You've had sex outside of marriage? Gasp. So what? You're so much more than your sexuality. And the God of the universe, the one who turns whores into heroes and drunks into prophets and liars and murderers into leaders and kings, that God, he made peace with you and me and our promiscuous, pathetic attempts at love a long, long time ago. He gave you a redeemer. Shame is no longer your burden. Do I want my boys to wait? Absolutely. And they know it. But I refuse to tie their value as a human being to their junk like a shiny red balloon. I want them to know that sex is sacred. And I want them to believe that it matters. I hope they will esteem the bodies of the girls in their lives as they hold their own bodies to the same high standard. But I also want them to understand that the kind of sexual purity the Bible calls us to doesn't begin or end with virginity. It's way bigger than that. It's way more significant. And it's way harder to hold on to. Isn't that terrific? Wow. And that's for... she, she can turn a phrase. Yeah, she can. That's Jamie, can. The, the very worst missionary. I think she's uh, found her calling as a blogger. I have yeah, a hunch. And she's, she's introduced the words uh, ho-bag and douchebag to this radio broadcast, which I don't think either of those words have been used before. Uh, which was an oversight. Uh, and I'm glad we have con I'm glad we have corrected it. So, so here's... I'm just picturing... Uh, friends of mine that would be concerned with that blog because 
it's all about keeping sin in check. And mm-hmm. that just sounds like too much license. You're you're lightening up on the fear that if you <laughs> you got to fear making the mistake, or else you're going to make a bunch of mistakes and not care. Oh, what do you yeah. think about that, Nate? Yeah, yeah. You know that's uh, that is always the rejoinder of the legalist, the moralist. That uh, it's 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 fear that keeps us from sin. I got to tell you. Um, fear hasn't kept me from a lot of sin. Uh, it's God's love that constrains me. It's God's mercy uh, that brings me to repentance. It's his kindness. Uh, fear, maybe I'm wired wrong, but for me, fear just uh, causes a... a re- it makes me sneakier. I got to tell you, I, I was uh, very sneaky during my years of active sexual addiction. I was very sneaky, uh, but fear wasn't enough to keep me away. Discovering the gospel and finding a community of people who actually believe that there is a loving, forgiving God, uh, and that He's our only hope, uh, and that we really don't have the power to be good. Uh, that it's beyond us. That that that. that uh, you know, at a certain point, we're powerless. And without somebody who adores us and who is not limited by our powerlessness in our corner, we're without hope. Until I found that community, uh, I wasn't able to find uh, the uh, the freedom that I'd lost when I'd wandered into the thicket of illicit sexual behavior. So, I don't know. That's what I feel. I, I love... She's talking about this in a way that uh, you know, Samuel just turned 13 last week. Mm. So officially, the young teen boy, and that that's the exact same conversation we've been having about sex, how Satan has wrecked this gift at one end by making it something that is held lightly and thrown about, and the church has jumped on board and taken Satan's other strategy and delivered a message that sex is something that has to be guarded in a way that takes away the worshipful awesomeness of it. Yeah. So when I'm talking to my young teen son, I know that if he is not smarter than both of those strategies, he doesn't get to enjoy this amazing door into intimacy that God gave us. Yeah. So I like I like that she's walking that that balance. And I believe that we have a phone call, Mr. Nate Larkin, because you asked for it, and Chip uh, has responded. Well, you know, let's take that phone call. Is this the chip I think it is? It is. <laughs> chip Shepard, it's good to hear your voice, man. We go way, way, way back. Yes, we do. Uh-huh. Uh, during those uh, regretful years when I was a pastor back in the early 80s. Can you see that? I was actually a pastor in the early 80s. Um, I wasn't yet 25 years old, and I was a pastor. I was a church planner in South Florida. And uh, Chip and I crossed paths way back then. He actually sat in the church and listened to my nonsense back then. Uh, I did. Uh, and has become um, a driving force, the Samson, uh, at least one of the Samson groups in Orlando. How's it going down there, brother? Uh, it's been going good. Um, I haven't been going to the Samson group um, that we've been going to. We, I moved out of the area, and um, it's about a 45-minute trans, you know, um, ride to that area. Oh, absolutely no excuse, man. Walk. Man up. Walk. Walk. No, no so, you, but, so you moved. Excuse me? So you moved. I didn't know you'd moved. Right. It, we, I just moved from one area to another. It's about 45 minutes away, so it's kind of a long long drive. So, okay. Um, I got you. But it's still Orlando. Orlando just kind of spread out. It, it's metastasizing. And, it is. Uh, yeah. So how many? How much does it cost you in tolls if you were to go? That's the other thing that kills me about Orlando. Um, oh, if, I would, if I take the greenway, it'd be about $5 each way. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, did you listen to the did, did you listen to the blog I just read? Yes. Um, matter of fact, um, last week um, I was uh, reading Rachel 
uh, Rachel uh, Evans' blog, and you know she oh, does okay. a weekly thing, and she mentioned Jamie, and I went over to Jamie's blog, and she's just a real. Um, she wrote another one in there you should read about about um, missionaries shouldn't be jealous of strippers. Okay, this is a woman we have to get on oh, the yeah. radio show. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna put our crack executive producer uh, on that job. Jay Jay's got a way of doing it. I don't know how he does it. I mean, he got CJ hits on the show today. So, um, and we got some other great people in the lineup. So, okay, we're gonna try and get Jamie. Yeah, because on her blog she says, Is Jamie the very worst missionary? Yeah. Inappropriate um, remarks, embarrassing antics, and generally lame observations from a Christian missionary. Okay, I love it. So, yeah, <laughs> she's real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything anything uh, special you want to pass along to the, to our vast listening audience? No, it's just good to hear you live finally. Um, All you right. know, I did listen to all the podcasts, but um, I get, despite of the quote-unquote, audio quality, it's coming in fine for me. Oh, is it really? Good. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are loud and clear. Every once in a while I have to refresh it to hear you, but uh-huh. it's coming in loud and clear. Okay, well, that's awesome. Maybe it's a bunch of pointy-headed audiophiles here in the home <laughs> of the music business. I don't know. Hey. Oh, hey. or other pointy-headed audiophiles that live elsewhere. Uh, excuse me. All right, Chip. Thanks for calling well, in, brother. Well, thank you, and um, come on down to uh, Orlando. I know you didn't make it down for the wintertime, I don't think. No, no, no. I'll tell you what. I am going to be speaking at uh, First Baptist Orlando. Oh. Uh, on the last, I don't know the date offhand, but it's, it might be the 29th of April. It's the last Monday in April. Okay. Uh, okay? All right. On Monday Thanks, night. Okay. okay. Thanks. Thanks, brother. We'll be talking to you. Bye. Praying for you. All right. Well, uh, we're going to come right back with our special guest from Colorado, yeah? Yes, we will. We'll be back in a second on the Pirate Monk Radio Show. Good friend Mo Leverett. 
We're back in the Pirate Monk Radio Show. Just as a reminder, our telephone line, if you want to interact with our guest later, is 347-850-1769. One more time, 347-850-1769. And our guest today is a C.J. Hitz. C.J. and his wife, Shelley, have been ministering together since uh, 1998. They enjoy sharing God's truth their through their speaking engagements and writing, they travel around the country, uh, keep a very busy schedule, uh, sharing their story, talking uh, to men's groups and to all kinds of groups, actually. Uh, in their downtime, they enjoy spending time outdoors, hiking, exploring God's beautiful creation. And he's joining us very conveniently from Colorado Springs, which is a great place to get in touch with beautiful creation, isn't it, CJ? Sure is. Uh Thanks for having me, Nate. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. It's a privilege to have you on. Uh, now, you've got a. How long has the Forgiveness Formula been out? When, when was it published? Well, uh, the book has uh, changed titles. You know, in the last uh, couple of years, we first released it as the Mathematics of Jesus, mm. uh, making sense of life when life doesn't seem to add up, oh. and you know, just sort of uh, taking that. Uh, you know, the teachings of Jesus, these weird and wacky teachings that, that he speaks of. And and really just, you know, looking at his math as opposed to ours, you know, and how uh, some of these teachings, they don't add up in our eyes, but but uh, as we live them out, we realize what he's talking about. Yeah. And uh, then we started getting calls from uh, Christian schools saying, hey, is this a new uh, math curriculum? <laughs> and uh, we got enough of those to say, you know what? Maybe the title just isn't appealing to uh, to uh, you know the audience that we're wanting it to, and, and maybe it's even making some people cringe and recall uh, eighth grade math, you know, or, or sophomore year and you know uh, uh, algebra. So. You know, I, I would be one of those people that would be having the nightmares uh, when I see the word math. So I don't know what I was thinking and yeah. uh, titling it that. But, uh, yeah, we changed the title. Um, it's been out, uh, you know, under that title, I guess, a uh, year and a half now, um, okay. Forgiveness Formula, and just really kind of taking the similar, you know, concept and, and really just letting people know right up front that the book's going to be about forgiveness. And, yeah. And how Christ, you know, uh, really gives us the most solid teaching on that. Yeah, well, I do have a little experience with uh, obscure uh, and misleading titles. Uh, a lot of people wonder what in the world Samson and the Pirate Monks is about. But um, this, I think it was genius to go ahead and re retitle the book, kind of rebrand it. And I love the way that you, uh, first of all, I, I really believe that God's truth is communicated through story uh, and mostly through personal story. It doesn't have to be personal story. Jesus, of course, told a lot of parables, uh, but the Bible is a collection of personal stories. And uh, I've only learned what little I've learned about spiritual reality um, through my own life. And I can convey it best by telling my own story. And you certainly told some, uh, you've shared parts of your story in a wonderful uh, and very vulnerable way in this book. So I wonder um, if you can, you know, uh, sketch for our listeners today, um, you, know, you know, you didn't, if you're like me, you didn't set out the beginning of your life saying, man, I, I really would like to learn about forgiveness, yeah. uh, right? <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, God had a curriculum set up for you, uh, and he introduced you to the curriculum and uh, introduced you to the lessons. And, uh, you know, this is truth that you've absorbed through real life. Uh, kind of open the story for us. Where, how did this – how has God taught you this strange mathematics that Jesus uh, – Yeah. Well – you know, as you alluded to, I mean, isn't it true that uh, we learn the the most, you know, through the school of life? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's one thing to learn from a uh, a book. It's another thing to actually go through something yourself. And I guess let me just start off by mentioning a little bit of my, my background. I grew up in a little town called Myrtle Creek, Oregon. 
little logging town in southern Oregon, kind of sandwiched between Eugene and Medford. And uh, grew up, you know, uh, uh, sort of being, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was on drugs growing up. I was actually drugged to church. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it was one of those things that didn't really uh, hit me. Uh, I, I wasn't interested in, in it really attending with my, my parents. I, I just sort of sat in the youth group and bided my time and, and uh my mind was on the basketball court. I was you know, my God was athletics and and uh you know, those types of things. And so went off to college and uh I went to, to a school in Indiana called Anderson University. Oh, yeah. And I uh, didn't go there because it was Christian college. I went there because I had a friend I had met on a, a basketball tour team that uh, had toured Europe for about three weeks. We both made the team. Uh, we were selected from a basketball camp we attended. Mm. He says, hey, I'm going to go to the school called Anderson. I said, oh, that's interesting. I was really enamored with Indiana basketball, especially uh, it was during the time period when the movie Hoosiers came out. Oh, sure. So I said, uh, I got to check this out. So I sent off for some information and ended up talking with a few people, including uh, you know the coaching staff. And uh, they said, "Yeah, we'll give you a shot." You know, in terms of walking on, and that was enough for me to say, "You know what? I just want to see what it's like out east." And so shipped about nine boxes out uh, to uh, Anderson, Indiana. I think every one of them arrived on a different day over the course of uh, <laughs> two weeks, and. Uh, Including, uh, you know, just it was funny. I I showed up uh, one one Sunday morning. You know, my my buddy, uh, he says, "Ah, hey, we're going to go to church over here." And I had black uh, Nike flip flops, white pants, and a Hawaiian shirt. I looked like I was ready to go to Hawaii. <laughs> that was the the uh, the only dress clothes that had arrived. And yeah. uh, he took one look at me and laughed. But uh, uh, ended up giving me, uh, you know, some of his duds to wear that Sunday. It was a little more, you know, proper, you know, yeah. church. Right, so yeah. wouldn't, have, wouldn't have flown. But anyway, uh, Lord got a hold of my heart, you know, at that at that school and my sophomore year in college. And my freshman year was sort of one big party year. Um, believe it or not, you know, there are uh, off-campus parties, you know, that happen you know, in Christian universities around e the country. E even at Anderson, even at Anderson, okay. Even some debauchery you can find. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was part of that scene and spreading my wings and just yeah. uh, enjoying enjoying life. You know, it was a very expensive uh, year-long summer camp is what it, what, it, what it essentially amounted to. And uh, then I learned real quickly I better uh, buckle down and, and actually study, you know, uh, after that. Mm. So my sophomore year, the Lord got a hold of my heart, though, uh, to some guys on the floor that were having a Bible study in our dorm. And just one thing led to another, and I just felt the Lord just really just drawing me to himself and just whetting my appetite for God's word. And and so I went home that summer and uh, got hooked up with a pastor that at one time I thought was just, you know, uh, you know, some clown in the pulpit. Now, this is a man that I highly respected, and he discipled me, and and uh, you know, he ended up baptizing me. You know, that uh, mm. summer, ironically, I hadn't been baptized through my life, um, mm. and uh, and I'm I'm thankful, you know, because it meant something. Yeah. And so, uh, ended up uh, ended up, you know, starting my walk with the Lord there. So. Now fast forward, you know, to, uh, you know, my, uh, I got married. I found my wife uh, at Anderson, Shelley, and we were married in 98, August of 98. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, uh, about the time we were getting married, um, my my parents' marriage was actually crumbling yeah. and uh, found out on, Easter Sunday of 1998, uh, my dad gave me a call, and he says, uh, you know, i got some news uh, for you. You know, you might want to sit down, and he let me know that, you know, Mom had had an affair, and uh, that, uh, well, he actually found out on Easter Sunday of 1998. A month later, he broke the news to my brother and I, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, he, said, he told me a little bit about it, and 
course, I was just, my brother and I both were, you know, very angry. I just, I actually think it was a blessing that I wasn't actually living in Oregon at the time. I was, you know, back in uh, in Ohio. Uh, mm-hmm. We got to our marriage. This is just a few months before Shell and I were remarried. And I often tell people, you know, it was like, a, you know, a blessing because I don't know what I would have done. I, I had visions of waiting in the bushes, you know, with a crowbar for this guy that my mom had an affair with. And yeah. She pursued him uh, in a bowling league they were both part of, and she carried this on for about seven months before my dad found out. And uh, she kind of had a, a way of eluding, you know, mm-hmm. keeping it from him with his work schedule and and her coming in late and, you know, just uh, my dad worked third shift during that time. And one, one particular, you know, Sunday he came home early, he wasn't feeling real good, she wasn't there. And yeah. uh, she came walking through the door, you know, a little later that, that morning, just as white as a ghost, couldn't believe that uh, he was there. And she had this thing timed, you know, yeah. perfect. And so, you know, his world came crashing down. You know, she didn't come back to him. She uh, stayed with this gentleman. They're still married today. He's my, my stepdad. And, you know, it was one of those things I just felt anger. And uh, I said, Lord, you know, eventually I'm going to have to meet this guy as my stepdad. And I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And uh, so my wife and I, we we prayed. We said, Lord, you know, you've gotta you've gotta give us what we need. Because I, again, I went from you know wanting to kill this guy to eventually, you know, um, being friends with him essentially. Yeah. You know, and and uh, the day came when I had to meet uh, Steve uh, as my my mom's husband and as my stepdad. And I remember that summer of uh of 2000 you know we uh we arrived in, in roseburg oregon and knocked on the door and, and i my mom opened it gave her a big hug and i could see steve you know standing standing across the the room and he he looked kind of nervous you know wondering what the oldest of uh my mom's boys was was going to do and and uh you know i i just I was going to walk over and give him a nice uh, courteous handshake and say, you know, nice to meet you. But I just felt like when I was walking over there, you know, it was like almost you know, the world went into slow motion. And I felt the Lord say, you know, I really want you to give him a hug. And, of course, I, I think all of us have sort of had these little conversations at times, you know, with, with the Lord. Maybe he's asking us to do something. And we kind of know it, but we, we, we say, oh, you can't be serious, Lord, you know. Yeah. You know, and... A nice joke, you know, that's that's nice. But I just kept feeling, feeling that prompt, and I said, okay, yeah, let's do this thing. And, you know, I, I, I went over and, and extended my arms to give him a hug. I could just see his body language melt. Yeah. Gave me a, me a hug, and I looked him in the eye, and I just said, it's really nice to meet you, Steve. And from that time, that really set a tone. It set a tone that said, we're not going to treat you as an enemy. Mm-hmm. We're going to treat you as a friend, and we're going to to uh, reach out to you. And, you know, that really set the tone because my brother had set a similar tone or a, a different tone, and mm-hmm. that was one that continues to remain to this day, that you are an enemy. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a result of uh, my brother not walking with the Lord right now and choosing to uh, sort of apply that math of Jesus, you know, that uh, doesn't make sense in our eyes. Mm. But I learned right there, that day, as I gave Steve a hug, I could just feel electricity going from the bottom of my feet out my fingertips of, of just love. In that moment, I felt pure love for this man that one time I wanted to murder. Mm. And the work had been done in my heart leading up to that. Yeah. The Lord basically was like, see what I'm telling you? When you apply this kind of love, when you apply this kind of forgiveness, I come through. Mm. I will come through. I've told you I will. And he did. And I can honestly say that uh, I found out that day that Jesus was the greatest mathematician who ever lived. Mm. That he still knew, he he knew then and he still knows today what adds up to a full life. And in that Mm. moment, I felt about as human as I could have ever, as I've ever felt. Mm. Uh, I felt like I was living out 
the way I was created to live. And that is loving this man with a love that was divine. Mm. And wasn't it someone that once did say that, uh, you know, uh, forgiving others is is actually divine? You know, mm. it's, it's something that really has to come from outside yourself. Because in and of ourselves, we just want to, we, we do want to beat people. We want to murder them, you know, in our hearts. Yeah. I mean, we want to get back at them. We want to get revenge. And we want to make them pay. We want to twist the knife. And so to love and to forgive is, is something supernatural. Yeah. And uh, I experienced that. And so that's kind of how this, this really, the rubber met the road for me. You know, like I said, I gave my life to the Lord spring of 1993 while at Anderson University. But it was uh, the summer of 2000 that I would say my faith even ratcheted up to a greater level because I realized, uh, wow, I've never had to apply this kind of teaching before in this kind of scenario. And so it just uh, it got the ball rolling to, uh, you know, it was a great, I think it was one of those things that was a great thing to learn so early in, in Shelly and I's marriage. Yeah. And we would have to later apply those same things as you, as you read, you know, some Shelley story as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I want to say, too, that I still uh, maintain a, uh, a great relationship with Steve. Uh, we have cups of coffee together. We've gone golfing together. And we generally enjoy sitting, sitting down and conversing. Yeah. Not one of those things that I say, oh, man, I'm dreading this. Yeah. No, I believe that the tone was set early on, and I give all the credit to the Lord. His yeah. teachings, you know, these wacky teachings that make you know didn't make sense at the time, but they do now. It's interesting. You know, forgiveness is usually talked about as as a gift that we're giving to somebody else, an yeah. undeserved gift. And what you're talking about was really a healing of your own heart. It was a gift that God was giving you and when you talk about your brother not having not yet engaged that gift he's really the one that's suffering in this he's losing out on what God has for us yeah yeah. isn't it crazy we think we're going to get some kind of satisfaction in vengeance uh, and really uh there's nothing more satisfying than to experience, than than to forgive somebody else. Uh, any, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, um, go ahead, Nate. Well, not, if you got another question on this story, go go ahead, Aaron. I want to I want to move CJ on to another story that, in my mind, is e- uh, perhaps even more striking. Go ahead. Go no, go for it. I'm, go right, I can yeah. turn back. Yeah, CJ, uh, tell us about your uh, about your grandma. Well, yeah, that was actually uh, actually my wife's uh, grandma. Oh, that's um, Shelley's story. Okay, I then I got I missed a I missed a turn in the book. Well, go ahead and tell your wife's story then. Yeah, well, you know Shelley uh, was really close to her grandma uh, growing up, and uh, her her grandma, you know, lived in uh, in New York, and and uh, it was a time, you know, when uh, you know Shelley was was uh, six years old when uh, she got news that uh, their grandma had actually been murdered. And um, they found out, uh, they had seen her just uh, a couple days before, actually. Um, And she was actually, the ironic thing was that she was actually murdered by her second husband. It was a guy that uh, had been known to be manic manic depressive. I guess he was officially diagnosed and bipolar. and so he kind of had these uh, these swings, and apparently had uh, had spent a lot of their money without really her her knowledge. And um, he ended up uh, not seeing any other way out other than just to uh, to kill her, and then he was going to take his own life. And uh, ended up taking her life, strangling her, and uh, yet you know didn't end up taking his life. Later was actually found. Uh, uh, guilty, but not uh, responsible, you know, uh, because of uh, mental insanity. And so he had to spend just a few years in a mental institution or a hospital. Mental hospital. And uh, 
not only that, but um, his kids uh, chose to, uh, when time came to uh, divvy out, you know, what was left in her, uh, her, I don't know, it was a retirement kind of account, uh, they ended up uh, taking uh, portions of that and not just relinquishing it, even though their their father, you know, had, had killed uh, killed Shelley's uh, father's mother, you know, her, Shelley's grandma. And so it was one of those things that was just, it rocked Shelley's world uh, at the time. You know, she was just, uh, she didn't really know how to handle this. And, you know, she uh, she went into a shell that just, you know, lasted for probably a, a year where uh, she just was numb. And uh, and so she kind of bottled that up. And uh, it wasn't until her late 20s that she realized she had never really come to, to deal with forgiveness forgiving, you know, her grandma's murder, you know, his, his name was Don, and, and uh, she decided to go through a process where she journaled, and uh, she went on a retreat uh, where she just really wanted to deal with this. She actually wrote fictitious letters to Don expressing uh, her feelings, but also uh, ultimately coming to uh, forgive him and say, I, I don't agree with what you did. Uh, she found out a whole bunch of information about him and, and some things that uh, he went through. And, you know, uh, he actually had a pretty hard life as well, just uh, losing, you know, people and losing a job. Uh, just a lot of things that probably helped create uh, who, who he was or shaped who he was. So she kind of came to an understanding of, okay, I understand that you went through some hard things as well. It doesn't justify the murder, but... She just really researched. She wanted to know more about this whole thing. She she researched the records from uh, the county in New York where this occurred, and she just thoroughly uh, sort of played private invest, uh, investigator for a while there, and came out on the other side just having this weight drop from her that she had carried for twenty some years. She didn't even realize. You, you know, uh, you mentioned Nate. You know that sometimes we. Uh, we probably carry these stresses around mm. that we we don't realize until they're gone what we were carrying. Yeah. And Shelley, that's that's really the way Shelley felt, and I think it's the way it works so often with unforgiveness. Is until it drops, you don't realize how unhealthy you were. Yeah. You know, Shelley tells this story that she she heard a pastor at one time give this illustration. And the illustration really is is a story of how it was a form of punishment that the Romans used to uh, to you know have people undergo, and that's where they would uh, they would tie a dead corpse to a, a living person's body, and that person would have to have to actually walk around with that dead corpse hanging on their backs, and eventually uh, the punishment you know of course was was a death penalty uh, where you know, the, the, the living person's skin would eventually begin to decompose as the uh, and rot as mm. the, uh, the dead person would decompose and, and rot. And so uh, that was that was really how this worked. And uh, Shelley said that is the picture of unforgiveness. It's when we uh, when we choose to to not forgive, we're choosing to carry around something dead on our backs that really eats us away. Yeah. And unforgiveness is uh is is really uh something that uh you know is we, we think it's gonna hurt the other person. And mm. when in reality, uh we're we're actually hurting ourselves. And so when Shelley chose to release, you know, her grandma's murder, she wasn't justifying that this was okay, that, that the yeah. murder was fine. She was getting the whole weight off of her back so it didn't eat into her soul any longer. Mm. And uh she's she's been free. She she tells the story and she's she's lived it and you know, it was a turning point, you know, because this could have really affected our, our marriage in negative ways in terms of just carrying this this burden that uh, leaks into every area. I heard uh, a guy named John Eldridge, he's a he's an author. Uh mm-hmm. 
heard him recently say on a podcast, you know, they were talking about forgiveness. And, man, it just was so uh, so real. I could, I could so relate to this that when we choose not to forgive, we think that we're just uh, keeping this little corridor in our hearts to ourselves, right? We, we, yeah. we say, you know what, I, I'm just I'm going to choose not to forgive, but nobody else has to know. I can still put on a face. Mm. I can still go out in life. And this will just be my little corridor. It won't it won't be anything else. But the reality is is that when we close that area of our hearts off, that area is completely unavailable in any sector of life. Yeah. Anywhere that we relate, that yeah. little that little door is unavailable. And so a little part of our heart closes up, eventually sort of hardens, mm-hmm. and it dies. Yeah. in life that it could be exposed to. And that's what we're doing when we choose to, to not forgive. And so, you know, by... Let me, by yeah. CJ, let me give two two thoughts, because this is certainly uh, in church ministry. This has to be in the top four that come up with people, the, the stuff that they just can't let go of, the bitterness they hold on to. So I'm just imagining, boy, there's a lot of people listening that are carrying stuff and they've heard a lot about forgiveness but they can't quite figure out how to get to the place where you had quite a divine meeting with forgiveness as you met your stepfather. And I I guess there's two practical things that I tell people and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Um, The first is most people come into forgiveness having read that God forgets our sins, so he forgives and forgets, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and and they think they are supposed to participate in forgiveness the way God is described as forgiving, which isn't possible in and of ourselves. That's not a decision we can make. So when first, when we make a decision for forgiveness, it's really us making a covenant between us and God and that person saying, I, I'm i not going to forget this. I can't just forget. I can't choose to forget. But in my forgiving you, I'm covenanting with you that when this comes up, I'm, I'm not going to make it your problem. I'm going to take it to God. I'm not going to punish you anymore in my heart or my mind. And I think by understanding that I am not capable of forgiving, because here you are telling this story, clearly it's still part of the story. You don't forget what happened in your family, but you have entered into this purposefully. And the second piece is when Jesus talks about forgiveness, when he talks about the servant that was forgiven his huge debt, and he will not forgive the small debt that somebody else owes him, my ability to forgive is directly linked to how much I know of what I've been forgiven. So until I enter into the gospel in a deep and meaningful way, then I I can only give the amount of forgiveness I've truly received. So pick up on those two thoughts for, for the practical application of what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I, do recall uh, uh there was a little phrase i was i was trying to recall and uh you know you mentioned uh you know being bitter you know dealing with people that come with bitterness uh for counseling and uh bitterness really is uh, like drinking poison and expecting it to actually affect the other person and um when in reality it you know it, it only affects yourself and yeah you know, it's uh, it's so true, though, that uh, we're going to probably forgive to the extent of of how much we realize we've been forgiven by the Lord. And I, I really think that, uh, that that is key. You know, I mean, Jesus even said, you know, to those who are forgiven much, um, they uh, uh, they forgive much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you think about the stories and, and people that Jesus interacted with and some of the sins that they've carried for years, you know, uh, prostitutes and these tax collectors that, you know, had all this stuff on their consciences of uh, ripping people off and, 
And Jesus basically said, you know, I mean, hey, it's all of this is tied to your own heart with God and, and how much you, you feel like, you know, you've been you've experienced forgiveness. And mm-hmm. I think people really do have to come to that point where where we uh we analyze, wow. And and, and, and one of the things that helped me was, was just to realize, see I penalized my mom uh, for about two weeks, and I mentioned this in the book as well, where I actually told her, I kind of gave, gave her an ultimatum. You know, uh, I, I said, Mom, here's the deal. As long as you continue to stay with Steve, go ahead and consider yourself one son less. And uh, basically told her, as long as you're with him, uh, you, you can pretty much forget about me, me being your son. And I let that linger for about two weeks. And my mom said in the in that two weeks, she felt like her heart was completely ripped out. That she even felt like she lost a couple years off her life because it was such a agonizing uh, phrase that I that I had an ultimatum that I posed before her. And mm-hmm. two weeks later, I realized, you know what? Um, you know, just feeling the Lord's prompting. That wasn't right. It was complete. Uh, anger and hatred that came out of my mouth and that was coming from my own as if I myself have never committed a crime as if my I myself you know have never done things that uh, that would merit the forgiveness way, yeah. the way you're describing it and it's not something I, I think we say to you if you could go back to that moment up and pray to this way, but unforgiveness is really pure arrogance. I don't I have not done anything as bad as you have, so I have a right to hold on to this. And arrogance in what you did was you felt you had the right to be the judge and give penalties. Exactly. Exactly. That's the essence here. Any anybody in life that you see that's carrying around unforgiveness, they have somehow put themselves above that. Yeah. Not wanting to lower themselves to a point of humility. Isn't that word humility key? We see yeah. that well throughout the scriptures. Yeah. And and yet we also read that Jesus himself humbled himself and even just allowed himself to go to a cruel a cruel cross. Um, and I thought they did a great job uh, in, in portraying, you know, in, that, in the, uh, the last episode of that Bible series that, you know, was so, uh, so big, you know, across our country, you know, the last several yeah. weeks. Um, I personally thought, thought they, they actually made Jesus look good. That's my, that's my whole concern regarding any of these, uh, you know, movies that come out about yeah. Jesus. Just, just make sure you make Jesus look good. <laughs> just make him look good, man. What well, people's appetites? Well, I think we've made look uh, Jesus look good in this radio show. I can't believe it. Time has flown. Uh, if you're listening to us live, and you've been waiting for a good time to call. You've waited too long. Uh, we've hit the end of the episode. Uh, so please tune in again next Wednesday. And be ready to give us a call at 347-850-1769. CJ, thank you so much. It's been such a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, How can our uh, listeners get in touch with you? Yeah. Well, all of Shelly and I's books are at uh, a website called uh, bodyandsoulpublishing.com. That's body and then the word and, uh, body and soul publishing.com and uh, I do want to mention too that uh, yesterday uh, our forgiveness formula book uh, we just uh, were able to release uh, the audio version and it's actually being read by a guy named Larry Wayne who's a national uh, Christian radio voice on a a major Christian station and uh, we we love how it turned out he just uh, he he does a great job with that and just a real nice voice and so really excited, and you'll find that on our website. But uh, any of our speaking, uh, that's just christianspeakers.tv. 
and uh, people can find us there if they ever are interested in having us come and share our stories and some of the things that we've we've learned in our walk with Jesus. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, Tune in again next week. Tune in again next week when our guest will be Jonathan Daughtry, uh, author of a book called Four Pillars of Purity. Uh, Meanwhile, if you want to send us uh, a letter, you can reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, it's been Nate Larkin here with Mondo Grimes and Aaron Porter. Uh, and our executive producer, Jay Spiegel, saying goodbye for this week from the Pirate Monk Radio Show.